Amen. How about a little air hug for me, huh? I appreciate you. Be glad we don't have to do those silly air hugs. We can do the real thing. How about that? Well, does anybody really like the cold weather? I see one, two, three, four. We have someone from the mental health department in the back, and uh, if you want to stop by their table in the lobby afterwards. It's going to be so cold, I even put blankets on my beehives at home. I don't know if it's going to help, but I hope so. I didn't hear any of them say thank you. They didn't come out and bite, so praise the Lord. Well, I am excited. Uh, I want to give you a little update on us moving to our new building. Uh, if you went by, maybe on Friday or Saturday, you saw this uh, out front. <laughs> <laughs> they're putting up the sign, and uh, if you see those white posts, that's what we're waiting on to move in. Uh, the city requires that we're building a little, uh, a little canopy to keep the rain off of you, and uh, uh, I don't know how well they work in its six-degree weather, whatever it's going to be, but as soon as they get that thing done, we're moving in here, and uh, we are really, really excited about it. Uh, though the weather slowed us down a little bit, that front's all that li is lacking. Is it one subcontractor? The general's done everything he needed to do. And uh, I talked to the, to the guy that's putting up the sign in the canopy. He said, Preacher, I'm going to have you in there by the last weekend of February. So, so what I'm going to guarantee you, though, we're going to be in there in 2021, okay? I mean, I, I just want to just make that declaration today, and you can, you can take, that, take that to the bank. But uh, no, really, listen, we're glad about it. But listen, uh, we may have to let you know at the last minute. I don't want you to show up on Saturday night and there's nobody in the building because you'll, you may think the rapture happened and you got left. So, so here's how we can do You know, we send out a little text every weekend. And, and if, if you don't get our text and an email, I want to encourage you, take this little card right here. We don't overwhelm you. You can opt out any time. If you don't have that card in front of you, just use a tithe and envelope. Give us your name, your... Uh, um, what else do we need? Your name, uh, your email, and your phone number, and uh, we'll send you a text. It could be Friday afternoon because we're going to have to somehow get these chairs moved over there too. And uh, our original plan was to do it on a Sunday. So we've just got some things up in the air, but uh, we are excited about it. Um, what I want to do today is uh, uh, this week uh, I was reminiscing a little bit. Um, this may be the, one of the last times I preach here uh, at Mall Drive. Uh, I've, I've, I've lived most of my adult life. Uh, this, is, this is what I've done. And uh, well, I want to take just a minute to, tonight and, and reminisce a bit about the past. And uh, when we get into the heart of the message, I want to talk about ancient Israel's journey to the promised land. There's a sense of movement. Uh, how many know we're just not going to a different building that's going to look differently? I mean, it's part of the journey of God that we are, we're participating in, and I think there's some, some lessons from that. But I'm going to entitle this message, We've Never Been This Way Before. And uh, I think you'll pick it up in the biblical text. But if I could just give you some history and memories, uh, let me start out with a little picture here of this uh, good-looking fella and his little bride. My wife hadn't checked. Who said who is that? Who said that? Police officer, could you come, please? I look the way I do because of y'all. Put that back up there. That's the way I'm supposed to look. My wife still looks that way, but her hair is not quite, is not quite as long. But uh, anyway, that's what y'all did to me. If I could be serious just a minute. Uh, the church 30 years ago, that's a long time. 
If you were here, how many were here 30 years ago? Let me see your hand here. Look around the building. Not too many. We ran most of them off, didn't we, huh? I got rid of all those problem makers. No, but seriously, the church was sick. It was divided. It was in need of repair. And worst of all, it was broke. I mean, no money can help you do a lot of things. But when you don't have any money, and uh, it was, it was not, uh, not pleasant. But look what God has done. Come on now. God deserves all the glory. Uh, I, was, uh, I did a little figuring on my calculator, and uh, I, the best guess that I have, you know, we started out with one service, went to two, and then we went to three for a period of time. Best I can figure is I've preached about, oh, 2,438 times. Wow. 2,438 times. But here's the amazing statistic. We only counted 5,000 people that fell asleep during church services. <laughs> now, listen, that's, that's two per service, so that's not, that's not too bad. But... Uh, uh, on a serious note, to glorify the Lord, we've seen God do some amazing things. And I want to honor him tonight. Uh, God took this church from being sick, divided, run down, and broke to being healthy, united, prosperous, and significant. Yeah. I was walking out the door last week and, and with someone, and I said, you know, I just sense the presence of the Lord and the peace of the Lord in the, in the church house. It just feels good. Now, we're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but it just feels good. Um, by the grace of God, we have impacted our city and our world. Now that's, th- th- that's, that's about mission. We have given literally millions of dollars to missions. We have built scores of churches, dozens of churches. We funded orphanages. Uh, I, the best I could figure as far as missions trips, 75 to 100 trips to a foreign country, building churches, helping orphanages, helping pastors, uh, upholding their hands. Uh, If there's one thing I wish I'd have done over the 30 years ago that we'd have just kind of kept track to celebrate what the Lord has done. There there are countless outreaches to local schools, to our community. I mean, we've done big outreaches on state line, things in schools, uh, citywide citywide, uh, crusades. Um, uh, in our community. Thousands of kids and adults have been taught the Bible during our services. I know many marriages have been strengthened. This weekend we had a marriage seminar. About 135 people came, strengthened their marriage. I've seen families put back together. We have helped and fed the homeless population of our city, the poor. We provided disaster relief and emergencies. Uh, one hurricane on the coast, I remember they, the, the, all our hotels were filled with refugees from the coast. And uh, we cooked for them in that kitchen. I can remember Pat Stewart making these big old pans. And we would go over there and, and we'd just meet what could have been lifelong friends. And uh, uh, that, that warms my heart, but it warms the heart of God. It warms the heart of God, I think, that we started Grace House to help homeless moms. I don't know how many kids Pastor Mike and Sharon and their team have impacted through Sidewalk Sunday School. Some of those downtown apartment complexes, those little kids, uh, uh, they bring the, the boom box down there and they get them sitting on that, that, that little tarp and they have some fun. They dance, they give them some, you know, something to drink. And then they teach them about the Bible. They teach them Bible stories. Um, thousands have made steps to Christ you know, we've done Jesus Fest, other things. I mean, lots of things, but it's a good start. But let me say this. I believe the best is yet to come. And to all the things we say, to God be the glory. We're not doing this for me. We're not doing this for us. How many know we're doing it to populate heaven? 
we're doing it to help as many people get to heaven as uh, we believe it's real. And uh, so anyway, that's, that's kind of the past a little bit. But I want to I wanna draw some parallels now, some spiritual lessons from Israel's journey to the promised land. Israel, of course, as a nation began under Abraham. God does something incredible when this aged man, he's 100 years old, his wife is 90. Uh, and let me know, uh, not, my, not many 90-year-old women want to have a baby. My daughter's not even 30, and she's complaining a little bit about, about uh, being pregnant and what it's like. And uh, it's just a part of it. But uh, God started something amazing through Abraham, and it started, and the families began to grow. Jacob got his turnaround. Isaac, you know, came along the scene. Before you know it, uh, Jacob starts having kids, and uh, 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 his rename to Israel. And uh, uh, before we know it, we've got 70 Israelites journey to Egypt. They end up over there with Joseph. They're the heroes. They save the world. And then something happened for 400 years that nobody could understand. If you're an Israelite living in Egypt, at first you're living in the land of Goshen, you're welcome because your brother, Joseph, literally saved the world under Pharaoh. He saved the known world in the seven years of famine. And uh, they were treated as kings. But one day there's a different Pharaoh come along and they say, look, these people are too prosperous. They're going to take over. We're going to make them slaves. And uh, that's exactly what happened for 400 years. And the people begin to cry out. And God heard their cry, and God sent this 80-year-old man. His name was Moses. And Moses went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. You know the, name, you know the story. Well, God set it up strategically to have them there for 400 years, and it was a reason. So that the narrative of the Old Testament could unfold and the Christ child would come. But uh, uh, right now, Moses, if I can pick this story up, Moses has led them through the wilderness. We've got the 40 years wandering around the mountain. And now Joshua has taken over. He's on the edge of the Jordan River about to step into the promised land. It's described as a land that flows with milk and honey. And these are four short verses, or actually three short verses that I want to read tonight and we'll spend all our time in. But Joshua chapter 3, verse 3. Now, I want you to be mindful of this too. Uh, I don't know how many Israelites were, were, were left after, you know, many died in the wilderness. But scholars believe there were between one and two million when they started out. So it's a gang of people ready to go in the promised land. And listen to what Joshua said. Joshua 3, now, he's the day before they're about to step into their destiny. Um, Joshua 3 says, when you see the Ark of the Covenant, we'll talk about that, and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to follow it. And then you'll know which way to go. In other words, the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, uh, uh, you'll know which way to go as you're following God. And notice what it says, since you have never been this way before. Joshua told the people these words, consecrate yourself. It'll probably be the most important part of my message when we talk about that word consecrate, what it means, because uh, hopefully we're not just going to get a text message on Thursday or Friday and say, hey, we're meeting at the new place on university. We show up and do the same thing we do here. Hopefully we are preparing ourselves as we go. We want to do more than just prepare a building and get paint on walls. We want to prepare or consecrate ourselves because what we want to see is this next part. Tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. How many know America is primed for God to do some amazing things? The last few days we went through something that I didn't even know you could do. I didn't even know you could impeach a former president. 
I didn't know, even know that was possible. I mean, you know, he's already not the president. I mean, what is America, what have we been doing? I mean, it's like, it's like we're spinning. And, 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 and we don't know what's right and we don't know what's wrong. And we have a presidential candidate that says, I'm going to help an eight-year-old transition from a boy to a girl if that's what he wants to do. You know, uh, we have legislation that's going to say it's okay that uh, boys, uh, think, can you imagine a 15-year-old boy where testosterone is running out his ears and he says, I feel like a girl and I'm going in the girl's shower. Now, come on. I mean, something is just, something has gone haywire in our world. States now, I think four states have, are in the process of passing laws to say that a biological male can't play sports with a biological female. And I saw a picture of this article where this, this guy, this bulky guy, has his girl around the throat and, and, and has her pinned. And it's, it's like we don't know the difference between right and wrong anymore. Uh, it's like we got rid of the Bible in the 60s as a standard of truth. The Bible that built the cultural heritage of America that made it arguably the greatest nation in the world, filled with flaws now, because I mean, we still flawed people, filled with flaws, but arguably the greatest nation in the world by so many, many different standards. And, uh, and it's like we're just trying to tear it apart and we want to become a communist nation. I mean, it just doesn't make sense what's happening in our world today. It's like our government. I read, uh, I, I guess, Miss Yellen, I think she's, she's in the, the new hierarchy in the, uh, uh, what is it, uh, some economic advisor or over some, uh, over, over some position. She said, buddy, it's time to open the pumps and print the money and let the world get started again after COVID. How long can that go? I mean, how, somebody told me the other day they were looking at a pickup that cost $80,000. A pickup. It had to be a Chevrolet. I don't know. <laughs> no, it's a GMC. It's the Cadillac. I don't know what it is, but you say, man, it really must be good. No, our money just is not buying what it used to buy because we print and it deflates. And I say all these things because we need God to do something amazing in our world. We need our children to be able to watch Disney again and not learn, you know, I ain't gonna talk about it. We need God to do amazing things. And and I want you to let's enter this passage today with this kind of with this kind of sense and see parallels perhaps between us and them. And here's the first one. Israel as a nation was compelled by a mission. In other words, there was a divine purpose in their journey. Now they were told that they were going to a land that flowed with what? Milk and honey. How many would like? Now that sounds pretty good, as long as you had your beekeeper suit on. The honey, you know, a land that flowed with milk and honey is just a euphemism for saying, "Man, you're going to get over there. You're going to live in houses you didn't build. There's going to be fruit trees. All you got to do is pick the fruit, and everything is going to be great." But listen, friends, it was not just for them. There was a divine purpose. I want you to listen how Paul described Romans 9, this band of people, hundreds of thousands, crossing this Jordan River. Listen to what Paul said in Romans 9. He said, they are the people of Israel, say this with me, chosen to be God's adopted people. And there's a reason why that they were exclusive. God revealed his glory to them. His glory is his presence. They drew them near. He was a father to them. He made covenants with them. Uh, and he gave them his law, the law of Moses, the Pentateuch, the five books of the Old Testament. God revealed the perfect standards of life. He gave them the privilege of worshiping him. 
and receiving his promises. To the Israelites, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob are their ancestors, but most importantly, Christ himself was an Israelite. In other words, Jesus, the Savior of the world, what it was all about, was of the, of the uh, uh, Israelite heritage. So they had a mission. Their promised land was a bi- for a bigger purpose than just to have a blessed, more comfortable place to live. They were God's chosen people, and from them the Savior of the world would be born. I'm really excited about our, 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 our new church home. It's a cool place. Let me show you a couple pictures of some things that are just happened. Um, that's a little seating area in the lobby. The lobby is as big as our church. It's laid out, di- or this building right now, or this sanctuary. Uh, keep going there. We don't have to go too long. But uh, that's a coffee bar uh, on one end of the building. We just got some new tables and chairs. That's one of three powerhouse rooms. It's much bigger than it looks at that angle. But that's their foyer. They've got a game room. Uh, that's the powerhouse game room. You can see it looks really big. Plus, they have a worship center. That's a, another little seating area. People have small groups there, TV, kind of a fake fireplace. That's all in the lobby. Keep going. Anything else? Yeah, there we go. Well, anyway, so you can kind of get a feel. Um, uh, It's going to be a cool place. Uh, Huge lobby, bigger hallways, modern sanctuary, huge kid zone, three rooms and powerhouse. But let me say this. It's not just for us. It's for, if Jesus tarries, the thousands of people that will come through there and have an encounter with God. If Jesus tarries the next 30 years or the next 50, who knows what it would be. Imagine doubling this the size. When you double the size, you double the capacity of, a, of, a, of what will God, God will do. It's not just for us. It's a bigger purpose for us. Listen, not only thousands of people in our community, hopefully their lives being transformed for Christ, but through our missionary connections, literally millions of people around the world have the potential of being touched. You say, how is that possible? Uh, Christ for India. Uh, a ministry that's planted 300 churches across the nation of India uh, every year, putting out from 50 to 100 seminary-trained ministers that are planting churches across what will one day be the largest, uh, most populated nation in the world. I mean, I mean, there's just networks of people that we connect to around the world. Uh, we have a mission. This church has a mission. And that mission was given by Jesus Christ himself. In Matthew 28, before Jesus went to heaven, he told his disciples, and I want you to say this with me, Matthew 28, verse 19, he told them to go. Go and make disciples of all nations. Uh, And if you don't go directly, uh, I believe the greatest thing that the American church can do is uphold the national. I don't have to go in as the, you know, as the as the as the great American preacher. I want to do everything I can to empower national leaders around the world. If it's putting money in their hands, just this week we sent. There's two orphanages we're involved with in Burma, and uh, Burma, uh, the military's taken over. They don't know, you know, if they're going to be able to buy groceries for three or four months. money did we send? $4,600 to feed kids. Well, where'd that money come from? It came from you. You know, it came from you. Well, guess what? These kids have food to eat, but more than just a philanthropic or humanitarian mission, listen, these kids are being raised up to be world changers. They're being raised up to be disciples. They're followers of Christ. They'll start churches. They'll reach people in that underground nation. Jesus said, go, baptize, teach them to obey all commands. 
We accomplish our mission at Church on the Rock. We say it this way, four simple words. We want to make disciples by connecting people to a command. Say it with me, four fingers. God, friends, ministry, and the world. I'm not going to talk about that today, but that's what we do. And we're moving to a larger facility for one simple reason. I want you to say this word with me, more. More. More people means more ministry. Linnell started out, she was the only person that was leading missions. Well, I used to lead them uh, years ago. Uh, she was the only one. And before you know it, the grants start leading missions team. Pastor Travis and Whitney starts leading missions teams. And before you know it, you just, you just increase digging water wells. I don't know how many water wells we've helped dig over the years in villages that didn't have any clean water. We'll tell you more about this when we dedicate our building, but we sent, I think, $12,000 to the underground church in Pakistan into a village that had no church and dug three water wells. So you've got a, a nucleus of people that are there that are Christians, and the church in America goes and empowers them. Come on now. If I want water, I just get something. I just turn the, the, the hydrant on. Uh, you know, I'm going to let my pipes drip for a while here, my water faucets. And when it's real cold, well, they don't have water faucets to let it drip. They got to go to the pond, come on now, where the cow's been, and drink water, and, 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 and people die. But this is why we're, we, are, we, are, we are moving so God, we can humbly and hopefully be used by God to see multiply millions of people around the world come to Christ. And I'm asking you to commit yourself afresh to Jesus Christ, number one, and to your local church that we can make a huge, huge difference and do something great for God. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand. Now, I've got five things we're going to learn. The rest one will go quicker. But here's something that I see from this passage that we read in Joshua. Everyone who follows God faces trouble. Now, that's not fun, but there's a picture I want to show you here of what is believed to be the Jordan River at flood stage. Uh, how many know whitewater rafters wouldn't even get on that thing? Uh, even if you had your helmet and life jacket on. Well, can you imagine that river? And, and, and again, now they've got to cross it the next day. And there are clearly hundreds of thousands of people. They've got babies. They've got knickknacks for their house. Come on, they've got their food. They've got everything. How in the world are they going to cross that river? It's an obstacle. See? And, 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 and this is a part of it. Um, the people left their camp, Joshua 3, to cross the Jordan. The priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them, and the Jordan River was overflowing its banks. But listen to the coolest thing. They obeyed God, exercised a little faith. As soon as the feet of the priests carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away. In other words, God supernaturally caused the flow of the river to go backwards and then everything down from them got out of the way, and then somehow God dried up the mud, or maybe it was sand or rock, and all these people cross on dry ground. Now, how many know that's a God-sized miracle? And that's the same God that we're serving today. That whatever obstacle you face, if you've give, uh, dedicated your business to God and uh, changes in the economy are going to affect you. Listen, if you were a contractor for the Keystone Pipeline or for the border wall down there, how many know you've got problems in the natural, but if God is the one that's leading you, how many know God can even lead you to something bigger and better? See, this is the God that we serve. We all face troubles. We'll face troubles as a church in the future, just like the past. 
Secular America, this is my greatest concern. Secular America has a growing hatred of the Bible-believing church. We're just lumped in to other social groups in America. There's, there, it's, a, it's a downright hatred that we have. We value some things that the secular world doesn't value. We protected Israel. Now our new administration is more favorable to Iran. These are changes we base on the Bible, but secular America is not like that. Satan has assigned demonic forces to attack us, but I want to tell you, God is bigger and will help you succeed and will help us succeed as we pursue our God-given mission. Listen, God's hand is not on our life just because we're nice people. God's hand is on our life because we are mission-focused. We are doing something for Him. We are walking. We are, we are paralleling what God has, has caused us to do. I remember, like I said, and many of you remember when our church was sick, divided, and broke. I say again, look what God has done. We faced a lot of problems, but I can stand before you today and say the Lord has delivered us out of all of them. Come on, give Him a big, a big hand today. Now, this next uh, lesson inspires me deeply uh, as someone who loves God. And I'm going to say it this way. This lesson is there's nothing more important than God's presence. Let's build on that a second. Because, you see, I care more about God being pleased with our services than you being pleased. I care more about the praise and worship pleasing God, you know, and leading people into worship than I care about making somebody else happy. Now, now, now I mean, what I'm saying is we want God to be welcome because it's his house. Didn't Jesus say, my house will be called a house of prayer for the nations? You see, we'll get into the consecration in a minute. But notice what it said. When I talk about the presence of God, uh, I, I'm not talking about the mystical. I'm not talking about... Now, there's cool things in the Bible about the presence of God. How many know Israel, when they went through the wilderness, there was a cloud that kept the shade over them in the daytime. And at nighttime, there was a pillar of fire that led them as they walked and perhaps even kept them warm and certainly gave them confidence. Uh, there, were, there were manifestations like smoke would appear. The glory of the Lord would be so strong in the temple or the tabernacle that the priests couldn't even stand to do their work. They just fell out on the floor. I mean, God manifesting himself. Those kind of things are cool if God wants to do that. But I'm talking about the awareness that God is near. I'm talking about the presence of the Lord being experienced when you come to worship. Last week there was a guy sitting behind me. I didn't recognize him, and I met him after church. But uh, he just was kind of worshiping the whole time, lost in God. And I saw tears, what I thought were tears, on his face, and he was engaging God. And afterwards he said, I I've been, uh, he was in the military or doing something for the government. He said, I've been away, you know, for a year, and I just hadn't been around the presence of the Lord. And my heart is hungry for the Lord. This is, this is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the presence. But it symbolized here that in verse 3, when you see the Ark of the Covenant, follow it. Now, the, the, the Ark of the Covenant, here's a little picture here, uh, kind of Indiana Jones, but, but 
it was simply a chest. It was overlaid in gold. Inside that chest were the original Ten Commandments of Moses. There was a jar of manna, that supernatural food that they ate in the wilderness. Uh, Aaron's rod was in there somehow. But on the top is what's called the mercy seat. It, th those two winged uh, uh, beings are symbolized cherubim or angels. And once a year in the tabernacle, the high priest would go in the most holy place was behind a curtain once a year, and he'd go with blood that was uh, that would be sprinkled on that little center, like little tray that's there. And what that would do is every year that would atone for or cover the sins of the nation of Israel. Now this is particularly profound because when 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 uh, 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 the the temples the, the the brick temple was there in Jesus's day, this was still practiced. They had a thick curtain. That was, that was there that would separate the outer court from the inner court. And when Jesus was crucified at that very moment, that curtain, the Bible says, was torn in half from top to bottom. Now, it wasn't some guy going in there trying to tear the thing. God himself. And it was symbolizing a way the blood of Jesus Christ has now made a way so your sins could be forgiven and so you can be restored to God. So that's, that's what this ark was about. But it was also a place where God's literal presence or his glory would manifest. As you're reading the Old Testament, you can see when the ark would travel, uh, his glory, and when I say his glory, it, it, it would be a manifestation, whether it would be smoke or fire or whatever of the Lord. But God's presence was, most of the time, it was sought by the Israelites. Moses in particular, we should seek his presence. This was a foreign concept to me for my early Christian life. But Exodus 33, verse 14, God said to Moses, "My Say it with me. My, my presence will go with you. I'll give you rest. And Moses said, if your presence doesn't go, don't bring us up from here. In other words, this is not an entertainment center. You know, uh, like, like this new church building. Um, when we come to church to worship, to pray, to love, learn God's Word, we have a dedicated prayer room that will have a 24-hour. You can go anytime you want to to pray. When people go there, we should experience the presence of the Lord. And what I mean by that, it's the reality of knowing that He's near. Um, <laughs> it's kind of funny, and I mention this story often, but there was a lady that, that, that cornered me years ago. Uh, we had some kind of event, and I, I was in the kitchen, and she cornered me, and I said, okay, yeah, what is it? She said, I want to talk to you. She said, are you putting subliminal messages on those screens when you sing those songs? Because every time I come in there, I just, I just, I just feel something. I, I feel better. I feel peace. I feel God. And I said, no, ma'am, they're not subliminal messages. But let's think of the idea of God's presence, or, or I'll say it this way, the reality of of knowing that God is near, and not just in your head, but experiencing in your spirit being. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 18. Jesus said this, where two or three are gathered in my name, what did he say? There I am among you. Now, how many believe John 3.16? How many believe Matthew 18.20? That when we gather, the presence of the Lord should be there. That we should have an expectation. James 4, 8 makes us a promise. Come close to God and... Say it with me. Well, what would, if God were to come closer to me, don't you think I would be aware? 
Yeah, this is what we're talking about. Again, we're not talking about mysticism. We're not talking about, you know, crossing your legs and going, hmm. Uh, we're talking about Christian people just knowing in their knower, in their heart, their spirit, that God is there. And you want to lay on your face before the Lord. You want to bow. You want to kneel. You want to lift your hands. You want to clap for joy. All expressions that, uh, that we're trying to connect with God. Listen, we've done our best to make our new building culturally, culturally relevant and appealing. But there's something more important than our comfort and enjoyment. We want God to feel welcome. One of my dear friends, uh, 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 Jason, uh, when he started coming to church, his own testimony, as he said, I just lived a wild life. He said, but I started coming to church, and he would sit back on that side about a third of the way towards the front. And I bet you for two months, maybe even three months, every time I would walk past him or I would see him, he'd just crying. Now, why would a grown 40-something-year-old man come to church and just cry? It's because his heart was being melted in the presence of the Lord. And, 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 and the same one who had run far from God began to run to God. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand. Uh, we can face an uncertain future with faith in God and His promises. Now, here's our text, verse 4. You'll know the way to go since you've never been this way before. Now, when you're going somewhere you've never been, you can go, you can go with one of two ways, excitement or fear. And I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of fear in America today. There's a lot of uncertainty in America today about our future. My wife and I were having a conversation just on the way to church about the election, about what happened, but about the drift of America now going, I hate just to use the words left and right, but seemingly further away from God. And she, she, this has just really plagued and grieved her. I said, well, honey... It just could be that we're stepping further in the book of Revelation. It just could be that you cannot have an Antichrist appear on the earth if you have a free and sovereign America. And it is possible we are a step closer towards that in that direction as opposed just to the, the, the life that we want to live. But the future is uncertain. But how many know just because we've never been that way, how many know God knows exactly where he's going and exactly where he wants us to go and exactly what he wants us to do? Listen, listen to some, some scriptures. These are worth writing down. Matthew 28, 20. Jesus himself said, I am with you always. You say, what if it gets bad and hard? It cannot get any, bad and hard, any worse for us than it did for uh, Stephen when they're throwing rocks at him to kill him. And what does he do? I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and he goes to heaven. Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you or forsake you. Proverbs 3, 5, if you will just simply trust in the Lord with all your heart, don't lean on your own way of figuring things out, but acknowledge God, and God will get you out of the mess. God will direct your steps. One of my favorite scriptures in the Bible, Isaiah 41.10, don't be afraid. Why? Because God's with me. Don't be discouraged, friends. Why? Even if the money's down, the contract is lost, the taxes are high, don't be discouraged because I'm your God. 
Uh, I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to hold you up with my victorious right hand. I don't know about you, friend. God is the one that's orchestrating the world events, and I want to tell you, he knows what he's doing. Come on. He knows what he's doing in your life, in my life, in this church, in America, and across the world. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with this, uh, arguably the, the my most important point, and I've run out of time here. Uh, I need about four or five more minutes. How many give me four or five more minutes? Five, 10, 15, 20. That's all I need. No, I'm just teasing. What's our responsibility? How do we prepare? Are you just going to wait for the text and show up at the, at, at the building? Is, is that what this means? Do I have a responsibility or do I just show up to the new building and, and, and hang out for an hour and a half, maybe take a tour before I go home? No. Or perhaps God expects more. Joshua told the people, verse 5, say this with me. Consecrate yourselves. Now, they're about to cross the Jordan River. They're about to take this next step on their journey. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things. And in their day, that river dried up. What does the word consecrate mean? It means to devote or set ourselves apart to worship and serve God. Worship. Well, we think about worship as just, you know, Praising the Lord, clapping your hands and kneeling and all that. But worship is the way that we live our life. When I live a godly life, when I love the unlovely, when I care, when I pray, I, 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 it's an act of worship. But consecration is devoting myself to do this. But it is also separating ourselves from anything that would contaminate our relationship with God. Who shall approach his holy hill, the psalmist says, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. Uh, let's not just go to church in a new building. Let's commit ourselves to do what God has called and gifted us to do. Let us break free from the mentality that my religious duty is just to go to church for an hour and a half. Let us do what God has called and gifted us to do. Our little slogan, there's a place for you, is not just a slogan. It's a biblical truth. 1 Timothy 4.10 says this, each of you, everybody say each. Punch your neighbor and said you're in each. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace. Now, how many know you can use it or you can bury it? You can use it or you can ignore it. You can use it today or you can say, I'll use it tomorrow. Can I tell you, friends, for many people, tomorrow never comes. For this week, the hundred people that were in a horrible car, a car uh, uh, you know, cars were crashing into each other in Fort Worth. I think five people died. They were going somewhere. They're not, they don't have time to use it now. Today is the day. Listen, whatever gift God's given you. So I'm simply saying this. Let's use our time, our talent, and treasure to reach as many people as we can and make as many disciples as we can. Listen, let me say this, eyeball to eyeball, we need you. As a church, we need you to be in your gifted spot. But I want to suggest to you, you need us too. Because you need an outlet to use what God has given you. Don't just be content just to sit in the chair. You're going to go in that place and it's going to be, it looks a lot different. And the first thing you have to figure out is where's my chair going to be? And more than likely, that's the chair you're going to try to sit in for, you know, for a long time. And if you get there and somebody's sitting in your chair, 
Don't they know I gave a bunch of money to this building? I need a name tag on my chair. Don't do that. Listen, it's an opportunity to do what God's called you to do. Did you, did you, did you remember, uh, and I'm going to close, did you remember uh, that uh, invitation, that volunteer thing that's coming up next Sunday? They just had two for children's workers, and I think they had 75 people show up. Uh, many of them, I think a third of them were brand new to the church and said, I want to I work with those kids. Well, next Sunday at 1 o'clock, they'll have some little finger foods, but it'll be, it'll be for ushers, for greeters, uh, uh, whatever, uh, prayer team members, altar workers. You know, it's just a way to just come and say, I'm ready to get on, on board. Well, I'll close with verse 5. The promise to him was, the Lord will do amazing things. I do not think God let us buy a building for $3 million less than they were asking and gave us the money to remodel and furnish it uh, so we could just go there for an hour and a half on a weekend. I think it's a little more than that. I think God wants to partner with us to do some incredible things to change Texarkana and the world for Jesus. What if we gave a million dollars a year to missions and outreach? The last couple years, we're about 700,000 a year. See, anytime you give a tithe, we take 13% of that, you know, 10% plus more, and, and put it in an outreach fund and, and, and fund activities that are not for us, but are for people whether they're around the world or in our community. What if that's our annual goal, a million dollars? What if we reach people and turn their lives around before they wind up on the front page of the newspaper in an orange jumpsuit? Is your heart just not grieved? Does your heart just not grieve when you, when you see these folks on the front page of the paper? And uh, I don't know what they did. They stole a car. They molested a child. They embezzled money. Can I tell you this, friend? I'm not perfect, but I don't do things like that. And I don't do them because I'm not better than any somebody else. It's because Jesus got a hold of my heart. I've stolen things in my life. I've been immoral in my life. I have done things that I'm ashamed of in my life. But you know what? I don't do a lot of those things anymore. I may do one or two, but I don't. <laughs> because Jesus changes us. Uh, what if we were a, a part of helping solving the, the problem of the homeless in our community. I don't mean the only person, the only group, but what if we were able to put something together that's better than the welfare system? You know, our thinking about welfare, and thank God for it. Listen, anybody that's in genuine need, I am grateful I live in a country that has a safety net to give me a house to stay in and food to eat if I can't take care of myself. But can I tell you, friends, America did a horrible wrong when we came across America the way we treated the American Indians. But if you have seen the solution, it has not helped them. If you go to an Indian reservation, you will find some of the highest suicide rates in the country. You will find some of the highest rates of alcoholism. You will find some of the highest rates of unemployment. And, 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 and so what we gave them was not enough. So then we gave them casinos. That's not the solution. And, and now they want to do something called basic income for every American. They're trying to make us slaves. 
when what the Bible wants to do is make us free, come on now, and free to pursue dreams, free to become all God's called you to be. Listen, I, I want a nation that's built on freedom. What if we were to able to develop, because there's smart people in this church, what if we were able to develop a model for helping bring people out of poverty, come on, into freedom and into functioning in our culture and our society, not just a little trinket or just a little handout? What if the church was able to do something like that? What if our little grace house that has four moms in it right now, a 90% success rate of taking homeless moms uh, and their kids, single, off the street or nearly off the street, helping them get rid of their junk and giving them through a nine-month program, putting them back in society, giving them a job and an apartment and a place to stay, and they're living life and coming to church and they're living a normal life and their kids got a normal mom. 90% success rate. What if that turned from four moms to 40? See, this is the kind of thing that, 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 that I'm talking about. Uh, the sidewalk Sunday school, incredible thing of reaching some of these kids, mostly that, that live in our inner cities. What if we weren't in just four or five complexes? What if we were in every apartment complex in the city? See, I want you to dream big, and I want you to find your place. And if somebody's doing something you're called to do, get along with them and just start doing it. If they're not, and you're in a right relationship with God in this church, listen, just start doing it. Because there's not enough time, come on, for you to wait for two or three years until you are whatever, mature enough or whatever enough. The world is, is, is in trouble. And I want to tell you, friends, I think uh, my first message I'm going to preach at uh, Argander Mountain is the church is the solution to what's wrong in America. Yeah. And I want to encourage us, let us be a model church. When people want to talk about how do you deal with racism, how do you get rid of racism, go over there to Church on the Rock and watch people love each other who are across the colors of the rainbow, across the, the social spectrum. There's poor people, there's homeless people, there's millionaires that are there. How can that happen? The government, the world cannot make it happen, but how many know Christians, believers in Jesus Christ, together we can make it happen? I don't know about you, friends, but I'm excited about the future because we're about to go to a place we've never been before. And uh, I'm believing that it's going to be tremendous. Listen, I love you. I'm so glad you came today. Give Jesus one more big hand. He's worthy of all our praise. Uh, who's closing? Pastor Travis is closing the service. Uh, I want to encourage you. If, we don't, if you don't get our text messages now or emails, get one of these cards and just drop it in the offering container at the end when you leave so uh, you will uh, know uh, and won't have to come back, uh, come by the church on the first weekend and miss worship. Praise the Lord. Just pause just a minute and say, Holy Spirit, would you just let your presence capture our hearts? For Israel, it was timing, it was calling, and it was the presence of the Lord, and the people just said yes. That's what we want to do. Let's stand to our feet. And, and as you stand, I, I just want you to say, yes, Lord. Just say yes. Wherever you lead me, Lord, I'll go. Whatever you ask me to do, I'll do. Today, Lord, I, in a fresh way, consecrate myself to the purposes of God for my life. 
I have one short life to live. I do not know when it's going to be over. But I want to set myself apart and do something, Lord, for you. That will live into eternity. Welcome, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Listen, I don't know about you, but I'm ready to go. Let's go. Let's walk over there right now. Now, listen, God has a plan and he has a purpose for not only what's what's happening in our transition here in the next few weeks, but he has a plan and purpose for the season of life that we're all in right now. Uh, married, single, have kids. Uh, kids are out of the house. God's got a plan for each of us right now. He's given us gifts. He's given us a calling. And the question is, are we going to use those for him? And I don't know about you, but just like Pastor prayed, I want to have a yes in my heart every single day. You know, I want to encourage you on your way home as you talk to your spouse or talk to your kids. Ask each other, what is God calling you to do? What is God calling me to do? Let's hold each other accountable and let's make this season the greatest season, not just in our church's history, but in our own lives. Amen. Listen, on your way out, if you're our guest. Again, we're so happy that you're here. You can drop off those info cards in the foyer on your way out. You can always drop off your, your giving, your tithes, or your offerings, and, and uh, you know, that's greatly appreciated. Uh, also, listen, if you would like to sign up to help volunteer, we have a guest, or we have our uh, visitors sign up in the foyer. We have our leadership sign-ups in the foyer. Make a commitment today. I'm going to get involved in this small group. I'm going to get involved serving here. It's going to be the greatest decision that you made. Listen, as our prayer team is coming up right now, we want to pray with you about any need that you have. Maybe something's going on in your life financially or relationally or you're sick in your body. Agree with someone because we believe God touches us, right? Listen, the last thing tonight is this. If you're away from God, listen, maybe you've never committed your life to Christ. Maybe you've just walked a long way away from God. The good news is Jesus loves us. He cares about us and he's provided us salvation. And that's through believing in Him. That's through repenting of our sins, turning away from our old ways, and having a new walk and a new focus on Christ. Listen, if you're away from Jesus, our prayer team would love to pray with you. We would love to agree with you. And uh, we don't have our cross here right now because it's at the new facility. But I would love to meet you over there and uh, pray with you if you'd like to get right with Christ. Listen, let's lift our hands. We're going to go through one more part of a song. Our prayer team is up here, and I'll be over here to pray with you. God bless.